As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Your online home for the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast is thisisbracketracing.com. Find the latest episodes, the complete archives, and tons of additional racing-related resources on thisisbracketracing.com today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in Sportsman Drag Racing and the stars within it. It's time for The Big Interview on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. All right, this week's interview is uh, a guy that I've admired for, oh my goodness, seemingly decades. It's an honor and it's a pleasure to get the opportunity to go down history road with this guy. He's a many-time, I don't even know how many-time championship drag racer in his area of the country, many-time big bucks racing champion and just an all-around revered guy it is great to have the guy that they affectionately call bucks on the racing circuit bob mulaney how you doing tonight man it's great to have you good to hear you jed good to be on i'm not sure i deserve it but i'm here well you have earned it my friend there's no doubt about that Uh, again i know your humble nature but We're going to drag some good stories out of you and have a good little interview here, but mostly just get a chance to know you a little better and our listeners get a chance to to know you better or know you at all if they don't, which it would be hard for me to believe that they don't. So by that being said, just give us a brief introduction and history of how you got started in racing up to the point where you are now. As a young teen... I uh, became interested in drag racing before I drove, but, uh, you know, was reading Superstock and Drag Illustrated and magazines like that, Hot Rod, and uh, just had a thing for drag racing. When I got my, as soon as I got my license, I was fortunate enough to start working for a guy named Bernie Agaman, who was a Superstock racer right in town, and got to work with him a little I bit. I don't mean to work you off, but I, I, I need folks to know where in town. Where is town? Where, what area? Oh, the, Bayonne. The Bayonne was, I grew up in Bayonne, New Jersey. And uh, it was, uh, anyway, he had a gas station and started working there. 
and was very fortunate to, I guess, learn a lot there with Bernie, Not besides pumping gas and changing oil. He actually became the 1974, I believe, world champion in Superstock, and he had a car that we put together. He put together. I tightly helped him with it, and uh, it was actually known as the Bayonne Missile. So Bernie kind of took me under his wing, and when he acquired that car, it actually had a small block. They were going to do a 454 big block combination, sold me the motor real cheap, and I had acquired a 68 Camaro streetcar with a blown motor, put it in, and started racing. I started driving to the track, went 1370s, and kind of got a feel for what bracket racing was all about. That's how you got introduced, and obviously you got a long history in the sport up to now. I mean, what has kept you in the sport so long, Bob? Uh, <laughs> and how many years? So you said 74 was basically your start? I was racing in 1973. You do the math, it's over 40 years. <laughs> you know I'm not going to <laughs> It's pretty crazy, but uh, again, it's what do I enjoy about it? I enjoy the Obviously, competition. I mean, you guys have seen me. I wasn't going to be a basketball star or a football star or anything like that, but racing intrigued me. And again, I was fortunate enough to, you know, learn a little bit about this. Actually, Mr. Agaman helped me with my building that street car into a race car. So that was my first race car also. And ran that for a few years in the late 70s, early 70s, late 70s. I got married in 1978 to my lovely wife, Elaine. Had Brian in 1980 and my daughter, Kristen, in 1982. And then money became tight, blew up that first race car and uh, had to sell it. But that pretty much raced anything I had, you know, for a long time. And uh, probably mid-80s, I started actually being lucky enough to start driving for people. Yeah. So, uh, how much? What did you get for that race car when you sold it, Bob? Not a whole lot. <laughs> I think it was eight hundred dollars or something. Oh. You know, blown up motor, and it wasn't a whole lot of money. I mean, I had a few other cars in between, but you know, again, I was—I'd race a Toyota Celica. My, my wife will tell you that the most fun she ever had at a racetrack was a English Town Wednesday night, and uh, you know, they—you ran anything, and I had this Toyota Celica and. I was wearing out dragsters and roadsters. I didn't even win that night, but I went like five rounds, and she just said, that, you know, the people in the stands were going crazy. <laughs> well, so speaking of, Bob, you've been in the sport a long time. You just said it yourself, over 40 years of racing. You've seen the sport evolve to an insane level of competition. Yet, over those 40 years plus, you have remained very competitive yourself. I mean, you're you're still as hard out as you ever were. How have you maintained that level of performance for so long? It's hard to say. I mean, and some days, listen, some days I think it's easy. Some days it seems easy. And other days, I'm not sure why I'm there. But, uh, <laughs> again, I guess it's just the time in and the fact that I – Listen, I've had help along the way, you know that. I mean, I'm driving a real good car right now, which you need these days. I mean, the days of something like the Dollar Nova going out and winning a lot of money, is that's that's a thing of the past in any yeah. class, you know, be it foot brake, uh, top ball, whatever. It's certainly gotten tougher. The racers, the drivers themselves have gotten tougher. They know more. Thanks to guys like Luke and whoever, you know, people come in this sport and these young guys are just so tough right off the bat. It's, it's, yeah. it's scary. Yeah, I mean, it is, but none of those guys look over in the other lane and see you, Bob, and, and feel like, well, here's the old timer that, you know, I need to, I need to back it off. 10, 15, 20 thousand. I mean, they're still trying to make as good a run on you as they are the, the guy their age over there, which says a lot about you and, and how they view you as a tough competitor. I mean, you well, you have evolved. I'm sure your driving style has evolved with the sport and, and changed as necessary, which, again, is just another reason why you're you're so well thought of out there. Well, I guess, I mean, just the fact that I have done it this long, I guess, 
I mean, some of the young guys these days have probably put more laps than I've put in my lifetime, but that that's the rare exception. I mean, yes, I've done it for a long time. I've enjoyed it for a long time. I've enjoyed the fact that I can travel a couple of times a year and, and meet guys like yourself and, and so many different guys that, you know, that I'll, I'll call friends. That I mean, and that is what I enjoy about the sport. Why can I still do it? I'm not sure. I don't know. It's what I enjoy. It's I listen. I always go out and try my best. I never think that I am the man to beat, and maybe that's helped me along the way. I'm, I'm not going to be a guy that tells you, you know, I expect to win. I ex- I don't. I ex- expect to do the best I can. I try to do the best I can. It's not always enough. I feel very fortunate that I'm still semi-competitive. Well, semi-competitive, again, is is very humble of you, especially of a guy that is known as Bucks. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, a, like- that's a name given to, to guys that perform at a very high level. So where did the name come from? How did you get the name Bucks? You know, I am. I believe a guy named Paul Bailey from Raceway Park put that on me. I'll tell you one of my first nicknames, and it probably had nothing to do with me. It was back in the day, back in the 70s, and this guy, Bobby Dorr, Berserker Bob, back in the day, was the announcer and manager at Raceway Park, and he came up with this Bracket King deal. And if that wasn't bad enough, he then made it the self-proclaimed Bracket King. And I had won a little bit, but nothing dominating, but it certainly ticked off some of the older competitors at the time. Big Bucks is just like, you know, the guy that's seven foot eight and they call him tiny. Well, that's pretty much me. Um, there's no Big Bucks around. <laughs> well, that's how I got to know you as Big Bucks, Bob Mullaney. But you said the guy's name was Berserka Bob? Berserko Bob, or he is still around. <laughs> he was back in the Jungle Gym Day, Jungle Pam. This is a guy that actually streaked at uh, Raceway Park at a Raceway Park show. I mean, this guy was a nut. But uh, I think he did that back in the day to, you know, drum up some rivalry, and it worked. <laughs> it was more than a couple of people who weren't too happy about that name. Yeah, so the, the nicknames was what got it all started. And so Yeah, I guess, I guess. And, uh, again, Bob. very fortunate. Berserko Bob, yeah, he was he's still ready. around, I believe. <laughs> But uh, so, great guy, a lot of fun. So, Bob, tell us, what is a day in the life of Bucks right now? You see, you, you're retired. You're, you know, when I talked to you about the interview, I was a little concerned about this is fairly late East Coast time uh, tonight as we're doing this. And I was a little concerned. You said, nah, bud, don't worry about it at all. Basically. Don't worry about it at all. No, this would be my not even my normal bedtime anyway. Don't have to worry about that. But no, uh, very honestly, we're pretty active here. We're in a 55 and older development now. You know, it proves I'm an old man. But, uh, you know, I shoot pool every night. We have a pool here. Uh, Atlantic City is probably a little too close for us, but uh, <laughs> we get to go there a bunch. And uh, I just enjoying. Being retired, very honestly, uh, I'm not the guy that's telling you I'm, I'm worn out with it, you know. We enjoy it. Me and the wife uh, still get along, and uh, we have a lot of fun here. Yeah, it sounds like it. So do you typically find yourself with many projects or things to do, or are you just kind of freewheeling, just kind of doing it? Freewheeling, what you-, you know, my project oh. is cutting the grass every couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, working on the cars here and there, the uh, the family cars. But uh, and listen, I do get to help out with the uh, the Frank's family car once in a while. I have to go out and work on that, and I help him out a little bit. So uh, that too. But yeah, mostly just just enjoying retirement. That don't sound too bad at all, Bob. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to ask you a question that I don't want anyone to misunderstand, but. Coming from the, so you started in '73. I started in '84. We all know yeah. racing was very different back when you started and when I started. It was very similar, but it's changed to somewhat of a business these days. Is racing as fun today, Bob, as it was back in the day? Uh, tough question. I'm gonna say, 
I'm going to say no, and only because, you know, back in the day, again, you could show up with a, a low-dollar car, and some people still do. Listen, Chet Dragon, my hero. Uh, <laughs> everybody's hero right now. But there's a guy, you know, again, it shows it can be done, but I think the sport has kind of out-dollared itself in the the extremely high entry fees and, and the big dollar races, I, I'm not sure that that can, you know, sustain. I kind of, a, again, listen, I am a blue-collar guy. I mean, I'm not working anymore, but I was always a blue-collar guy. I had the rates as a blue-collar guy, you know, blue-collar budget. I'll say this. I see so many young guys that are hitting every one of these meets, and I'm going to suggest that they start looking at it as a sport, as a hobby, enjoy it. And that's not to say you don't run some big dollar races, but I can't see that going and, and handing over basically, you know, thousands of dollars on any given weekend. It's got to wear you out if you're not doing extremely well. And only so many guys, very you know, unfortunately, only so many guys do win. Yeah, I'm not sure I like the way it's going. Yeah, you know, if you're just looking at it as pure fun, it's way more difficult to say today is more fun than back in the old days when you started or I started because it's so much more like business now. And there was a time in your life, and no offense, but there was a time in your life you showed up to the track and you were better than 99% of the people in the pits. And now everyone is so talented and the equipment is so good. You know, does it take the fun out of it? Mm, not completely, but it's definitely a lesser amount than back in the day, in my opinion. I think you, you validated that with your with your response. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, and again, listen, because it is so tough to win, it's a great accomplishment when you can. But... Those days are a lot fewer than, you know, they were 30 years ago, that's for sure. Yeah, could you have ever imagined, Bob, when you started racing and you won at uh, Raceway Park on a Saturday night that basically the entire country would know it within minutes and obviously more parts of the world would know it in a certain time frame? I mean, that was unfathomable than you know when you started and now with the internet and and the attention that racing gets on such a broad scale it's it's amazing really what what accomplishments do for your uh i guess uh, notoriety or your popularity it, it's you know you've won a lot of good stuff and the internet just makes it feel so much different because it garners so much attention that's true, and I'll tell you what, Motormania, what it's done for us, you know, I've yet to meet Mark and Joanne, but I would love to because, uh, what you know, I can sit home and watch these high-dollar races, and, you know, nothing to take away from an HRA race and, and their coverage on TV, but, you know, these are guys that we race with, that we understand what's going on, and to be able to watch that and record it and you know, go back and watch what you've done and what you haven't done. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, really, from, again, where we started. You know, you had national dragster that might cover if you won a division race. You can, listen, back when I ran, say, stock, if I was doing well, everybody knew. You could go out and win three, four, five, five granders, and nobody knew anything. But if you won a division race for $1,000, everybody knew. Sure. That is the difference now, that the Internet and motor mania and all that has made it really brought a, a big light to what we do. Yeah, no doubt about it. And um, outside of the interview, I appreciate you watching because sometimes you let me know when I'm uh, when I'm calling a race and you'll tune in. So I appreciate you watching that as well and catching up with me because it's really cool. Thank my buddy Bucks will be back in Jersey watching and I'm. You know, little old Jed out there in Las Vegas, Nevada, getting to getting to call races. So that's pretty cool too. And the Motor Mania thing has been unbelievable for the sport, as you mentioned. So that's really something that I guess has helped, obviously, help people across the country know who you are and some of the things you've done. But if that was happening in quote unquote your heyday, if you had that, my goodness, you would have been hated because of 
the amount of success you've had. Now, you know, we just have some part-time success. Back in the day, Bob, they wouldn't have loved you nearly as much. They love you now. (laughs) Yeah, they love you now. They would have hated you back in the day. (laughs) So, Bob, we talked about Uh, the old days a little bit right there. Part of the fun from the old days is getting to hang with guys like Happy Harry, uh, Jim Herring. Uh, I know you. Yeah, well, absolutely. (laughs) You spent an unbelievable amount of time around Jim, and I'm sure the stories are endless. But try, if you can, to give us your fondest memory of your adventures with uh, Happy Harry. Well, I know you kind of gave me a heads up on this, and I thought a lot about it. Now, we've done some crazy things and things that very honestly pissed me the (laughs) heck off with Jim. But uh, very honestly, the best times we had, honest to God, I'd race at Akko on Saturday night, crash at Jim's house to go to Raceway on Sunday. We'd play cards. I mean, Jim loved to entertain. He had his uh, beer butt chicken that he'd make and, you know, things like that. I mean, my family came, my wife, my kids, and we'd have, you know, we'd play Texas Hold'em and just have a lot of laughs. Now, again, I was fortunate enough to be with Jim when he did his schools a lot. Uh, helped him out, which was just, I had a blast doing that. I mean, it's it's so much fun to see the look on people's face the first time they get in a car like that and go down the track, you know, you've been there, you've done that. And it's just so cool. And yeah. had the, you know, had the fun of doing that with Jim and we did some wacky things <laughs> while we were doing that. But, uh, <laughs> again, Jim could, uh, listen, he would make me crazy. We'd show up for a school and trail would be closed and people would be there waiting already. And we'd get there and Jim would get there. And we'd open that trailer and here's the dragster sitting on his side, three flats out of four. And I'm just like, Jim, come on. But <laughs> we always made it work. Again, had just had a lot of fun doing it. Had a lot of fun with Jim, raced with Jim. Uh, back in the day, listen, we drove for this wacky guy, Rabbit and Bob, that uh, actually was one of the first guys that had a tractor trailer. I mean, and stuffed a couple of cars in it. And we both drove for this guy. And, you know, there's stories with Jim that ticked me off. Uh, thought he was going to make me lose my license. I mean, he made me... We we took a Ram truck to pick up two cars. He was trying to dig up some money, and he had a job that he was going to pick up a couple of cars and went out in Pennsylvania. And this is before cell phones and before GPS. And we picked these two cars up, and he has his Ram truck. He puts one on a Ram truck, and I'm going to follow him. Well, my man gets on the highway... And he's doing no less than 90 miles an hour. <laughs> and I have to follow him. And it's like, I'm going to lose my license. And I'm cursing away. And finally, fortunately, he drops a valve in his truck. It was actually John LaBeouf Sr.'s truck. He drops a valve and it finally has to stop. We pull over and I, I just wanted to kill him. Just one of the things that, you know. <laughs> Just what Jim would do. It was a contest to get back as quick as we could. And but, uh, Rarely do you hear the words, fortunately, he dropped a valve in this truck. Fortunately, he dropped a valve in his truck and had to get off the highway and <laughs> happened to be by his brother-in-law, Paulie Beauchamp's house, and we were fortunate that way, too. But, uh, yeah, it was, again, it was always, it was just a lot of fun with Jim. Those are my fondest memories, though, seriously, just spending time and, uh, playing cards and all the other good stuff that we did. I mean, I'm not a party guy. I think you guys know that by now, but uh, we had a good time. Good relationship, basically like my brother. Yeah, no doubt. Jim was one of a kind, I'm sure. There's Definitely a, one of a kind. <laughs> tons of memories. Your son, Brian, obviously is a very talented drag racer, bracket racer himself. Now, Brian doesn't get a chance to get out and show it as much uh, because of work challenges, and he's uh, got a family of his own. He's he's raising children, but, uh, you know, I know you have to be super proud of what he's accomplished on the racetrack as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, he's done, listen... A, a story you probably don't know, but junior directors started at Englishtown with Vinnie Knapp. And Vinnie had made a car for his son David to drive around. And, you know, when it was downtime at the track, he'd drive this thing around. Well, they finally 
put together two real junior dragsters, uh, half-scale dragsters. And at that time, David, his son, was about 16 years old. Well, the state of New Jersey is very tough on regulations and things like that. And they wanted a kid, a younger kid, to drive these two cars that they made. They had one with a stock motor and one that was a little modified. And Vinny Knapp called me up and asked me if I could bring Brian to the track. They were going to have state police. They were going to record everything. And basically what I'm telling you is Brian driving these two junior dragsters is what got it approved in New Jersey and ultimately where junior dragster is right now. Wow. So, uh, but uh, yeah, very cool. I'll tell you one of the track championships I actually lost, I think was 2015. Um, Leading going into the last day by four rounds, I believe was the deal. And Brian was one of the guys that could pass me. Well, it ends up I lose first round. Do my normal deal, give it back by a foul. But uh, <laughs> anyway, at Raceway, they were kind enough to let me announce once in a while after I lost, which was plenty of times. But I got to announce Brian, and Brian had to go. He had to win four rounds to go around me for the track championship. And I got to announce that day, and uh, it was pretty special. And he came up double O when he had to, and uh, won the track championship. So, uh, I'm not sure Mr. Franks was too happy that I lost the track championship, but, uh, it was, it was pretty special in the tower. I was, I was pretty choked up. Yeah, I can imagine that'd be a very special moment for you, you know, putting your own thoughts and wishes aside and watching your son claim a championship and doing it obviously in grand style, hitting the tree and doing his thing. But, Bob, what's the biggest thing that you and Brian have squared up against for? Uh, you know, have you guys raced final rounds against one another? Or? We have. We have a eh, – he's probably going to yell at me and say, I think only two finals, and I'm going to say we split them. But we've raced more than that, you know, during eliminations. And as much as I hate to say it, I think his numbers are better than mine. <laughs> well, I'm did, sure he would know I watch your dad. Well? <laughs> you probably did. Uh, I, I know. I, I've I've chatted back and forth a little bit with Brian in preparation for this, and um, you know, I I want you to know. I know you know this already, but you you couldn't have a, a son that's more proud of his father, and not just being his father, but the things you've accomplished on the racetrack. Uh, young man's very very proud of you. And, he probably knows your history better than you do, Bob. <laughs> he probably does. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, no, very proud of him, and, and uh, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I'm sure he does. Listen, he, he lets me know. He's, yeah. He thinks I'm uh, the greatest thing since uh, sliced bread, but uh, and that's nice to hear anyway. I wouldn't argue with him. <laughs> uh, Bob, you, you've gained the respect and admiration of racers across the nation especially in the footbrake category. Now, I think any racer respects and admires you for what you've accomplished, but uh, those of us in the footbrake community, if you will, certainly have a, a super high level of respect and admiration for you. Having said that, your legacy will be that of any championship racer. You know, they're going to say, yeah, oh, Bob was a great driver. He was a fierce competitor. He always brought his A game, et cetera, et cetera. What is your wish for your legacy, Bob? What What do you want people to remember about you? Not necessarily that I was uh, this great racer. I mean, I've enjoyed myself, I hope, and I think I've never given anybody really any reason to think otherwise, but just that I'm a good sport when I lose listening. And that doesn't mean I'm a happy guy with me, but <laughs> that I've been a sportsman all along. And, you know, listen, guys beat me. I make a point. I try to make a point any time to go up and shake their hands and, you know, no matter how the race went, again, I, I hopefully that's how they think of me, just as a fair guy, a fun guy, certainly fair on the racetrack and a sportsman. Yeah, I think uh, I, that's why I asked the question. I anticipated you saying you, you'd much rather be known as a, as just an all-around good guy uh, as opposed to a great racer, you know. Um, which I think is definitely going to be part of your legacy is that people will 
will remember you as just a a really good man and somebody that was as respectful to your competitor as you would want them to be to you. So uh, I think that's definitely going to be how anyone remembers you, anyone that knows you anyway. I've tried my best. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Well, your best has been good enough, my friend. So, Bob, along those lines of people remembering championships and all the things you've done, you know, you've raced a lot of classes and you've won so many races and championships. I don't even know if, if you have any idea what that number is, but having been a winner for so long, still, are there any regrets? Is there any uh, racing that you wish you had pursued, uh, some chances you got that you that you wish you had followed just to see where it went or anything on your bucket list that you wish you had done or maybe still plan to do? I'm going to say, very honestly, I've been so fortunate and happy to do what I've done and to still be able to show up and sometimes look like I know what I'm doing. But honestly, no. I mean, I'm not the guy that wanted to tour. I'm not that guy. I'm more of you know, a home guy. And that's not to say I don't like to travel a couple times a year, but I'm saying the same thing again, but I've just been very fortunate to do what I've done. I ran stock for that short time and, and had a little luck with that. But um, you know what? I more enjoyed locally racing, racing with my friends, racing with my son, than maybe going on the road all the time. And again, I, I enjoy traveling. I enjoy a couple of meets a year, but the local racing is what I've enjoyed. My wife has been tremendous about the fact that I've done this this long. Yeah, wouldn't want it any other way. No, no pro stock for me or anything like that. Nope. <laughs> well, uh, you talked a little bit about the stock, you know, and what's great to hear you don't have any regrets. I didn't anticipate you saying you did. But you did win a division championship in 98, I believe. Is that right? Uh, 98. That's correct. And I and think that you was... won it. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I think you won it in a vehicle that had letters that are way down the alphabet on the windshield. <laughs> yes, it was a Q Automatic Behemoth station wagon with a 283. It ran 1370s in a quarter mile. But it probably, I mean, a couple of guys bought this car for me, uh, Tommy D. Pascal and probably know him, but uh, a couple other guys, Tom Brown, Dennis Altman, bought this, I think, because I was doing well with the Dollar Nova thing, because I was being able to be somewhat competitive with a slow car. So they bought this stalker. Yeah, I had a lot of luck. Was uh, End of 97, won the Dutch Classic, which is a pretty big deal on the East Coast. It's uh, Maple Grove, and it's it's just a national open, but it started off there in 98 we just had a a lucky good year i don't know went to five division races was in three finals and won two of them and ended up being a division champ yeah in a q stock automatic car in a q automatic (laughs) (laughs) what you said 1370s which is you know as slow in today's times but it was still slow in 1998 there were there were i mean yeah Many, many 10-second right. cars back in those days. You didn't, you didn't have any Copo cars or anything like right. that back then, but you still had your, you know, high 9-second, low 10-second cars, and I was fortunate. It was fairly predictable, fairly, and uh, at the time, you know, I came in as the bracket racer. Now, back then, and now, and again, nothing against guys then, but they were more performance-oriented. I came in as a bracket racer. I mean, I would I would start this thing in the lanes, and they'd look at me like I was nuts. But <laughs> I would start it to run at a certain temperature. These guys are putting ice bags on them and all this other stuff. Well, I was the bracket racer mindset, and, again, it, it, it worked out. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess you got to bracket race quite a bit in, in, in a Q-stock automatic car. You didn't – not a lot of heads up in the – in the pits no, no, so. fortunately, no, that's true. And that's reasons they also bought that car. It was fairly cheap, and it was a class that you didn't have to worry about. Yeah. But it did have its problems. I mean, back in the day, we also had national events where on the East Coast, you had 130, 135 stockers show up. Mm. Yeah, sometimes we were borderline qualifying. Yeah, <laughs> had to make that feel, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> so, Bob, yeah, this they didn't is, have I- any, yeah, God, I'm sorry. 
No, I'm sorry. Uh, this is not a baited question by any means, but we always like to know what's up next for, for a guest that we have on the show. What's what's next on the racing schedule? Next is WFC, buddy. You know that. Coming up in a couple of weeks. <laughs> well, that's a standard question, so I apologize for making it feel a little baited. But, uh, <laughs> no, we're going to run a local weekend here in a couple of weeks, and then, uh, yeah, we're coming to Bristol, baby. Yeah, it will Let's be. See what we can do. Wonderful. See if we can do any damage. Wonderful to have you back, and uh, we've got a really huge announcement coming up there, which is probably the worst kept secret in foot break, but uh, it's it's going to be uh, great to announce it. And looking forward to having you in the pits, and uh, certainly wishing you the best. It'd be great to see you standing in the winter circle. Thank you, pal. It's been great racing there. I've had some decent days and some not so decent days, but. Uh, <laughs> Again, I go there and I travel to race with these other races and, and really, you know, test yourself against the best. And yeah. that is what shows up at the WFC. The best footbreakers in this area, for sure, on the East Coast anyway, and some on the West Coast. Yeah, so, they'll, they'll gather from all around, but you guys have a, a nice group of folks coming down from your part of the country this year, so really excited about there. There's a lot of talent up there that uh, doesn't always get to make their way down to show it, so looking forward to that. But uh, all in all, Bob, just want to say thank you for what you mean to the sport, what you mean to the people in the sport. We all love you. We all admire you. Uh, you're just you're really the guy that a lot of us want to be from a performance standpoint and just uh, an attitude and demeanor standpoint, you carry yourself very well. And uh, we all love you and respect you, man. I can't thank you enough for coming on here and, and sharing your story with us for a little while tonight. I appreciate that. Chad. That means a lot to me. Trust me. It's again, I've enjoyed this sport for a long time. I, I, I was born at the right time to be able to enjoy this for over 40 years. And, uh, Whatever I got left, I hope I'm still doing it. Likewise. So that kind of wraps us up, Bob, but you listen to the podcast. You know that we're not done. You know the rapid fire is up next. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> so I know you're up for it. I won't even ask what if you're up for it. We'll just go right into it. Okay. What is the first thing a retired Bob Mullaney does every day? <laughs> For real? When your feet hit the ground. Uh, when well, my need... feet hit the ground, it's time to take the dogs out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you had to have a cup of coffee or? The dogs come first. Trust dogs me, they don't out. allow it any other way. <laughs> so they're ready. <laughs> uh, we might have talked about it in the podcast, in the interview, but what is your most memorable racing championship? Well, I tell you the division championship, which was which was very special. I well, uh, I had a Gambardella series back in the day at ACO was a five thousand dollar weekends that they had, and it, it was a series, and it was pretty cool. And I had won actually the first two years that they had it. And third year going in, I was not in good shape going into the last day, and I was. I'm going to tell you, it was Jim Young and Anthony Fetch. You've heard of those guys. Uh, were ahead of me by three and four rounds. And Joe Sway, the late Joe Sway, unfortunately, great guy. Joe Sway comes right up on his scooter after the second round, and he comes over to me, and he goes, <laughs> guess what? You're the only one that can uh, take it away now. I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, Jim Young lost, and Fetch lost, and you got to win. And if you win, you can win the championship. I says, and I do six rounds left, and uh, I end up pulling it off. And I'll tell you what, I got to the top end, and I had to pull over for a couple of minutes. I was a little emotional. I'm sure. Yeah. That's, uh... If you want to ask me the biggest race that I ever won, that was, I'm going to say the most emotional, was Cecil County Ten Grander, Jim Harrington, the Jim Harrington race. I wanted that for a few years, and. Uh, I ended up getting it in I think 2014, and uh, that was that was a that was an emotional one for me. Uh, I'm sure that was, that was pretty big. Yeah, you you've won. And, and uh, you got to race a guy like Lee Zane in a final, and no uh, no cupcake in the final. So uh, no, yeah, I was uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that was big, but That's uh, pretty special stuff. So 
Bob, if you didn't race, if that wasn't your hobby or pastime, you'd what? <laughs> You're killing me. <laughs> Professional gambler? No way. <laughs> um, <laughs> what would I do? Probably some kind of sport that I could deal with. Like to play tennis now a little bit. I'm not very good at it, but I enjoy it. If you were going to ask me what I could do and be good at it, that would be something that I would I wouldn't mind doing. Uh, you know, as a sport or golf, which I don't golf. So oh. all these sports that look like I could possibly do them, yeah, maybe. But uh, again, fortunate to do what I've done. Had a blue collar job all my life, and uh, nothing wrong with that. And got paid the bills, and let me have some fun too. Not too bad. But you mentioned earlier in the podcast that you play a little pool, so maybe that would be your next yeah. hobby. Pastime. I'm not maybe. sure there's money in that anymore. Maybe there is. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, what is your favorite song that no one would even get close to guessing that you enjoy? My favorite song? You're killing me. Uh, listen, I'm a classic rock type guy. I mean, it would, I, you know, I could tell you Stairway to Heaven, but that wouldn't be it. But yeah, I was a Led Zeppelin type guy, or the Beatles, or whatever. Particular song? Eh, you're giving me a tough one here, buddy. I don't know. <laughs> you don't. You don't have that one. You just when you're by yourself in the car and it's playing, you're like, oh man, I gotta sing this. Uh, I sing a lot, and I wear out my voice doing it. But <laughs> no particular song. No, you got me on this one. I mm-hmm. couldn't even tell you. Okay. Listen, Brian's put a lot of stuff on my uh, iPod. You remember those <laughs> that uh, I listen to? Wouldn't be my picks, but after you listen to them for uh, 70, 80 times, you start to like them. So I, I got a pretty good uh, mix. I'm not necessarily a country guy. It doesn't kill me to listen to it, but uh, like I said, classic rock, anything from back in the, back in the day. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. So, Bob, the last rapid-fire question, and this one was this one was a little help for me and a little help from Brian, but I put these together. It's kind of a would-you-rather, and this, will be, this one will be easy for you, I'm sure, but, Bob, would you rather be kissed by a man in the winner's circle or <laughs> – <laughs> or – Make a nine-second quarter-mile pass on a motorcycle. <laughs> well, I've done them both. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've done have. them both, and uh, <laughs> it was a cute guy that gave me a kiss on the lips. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you, he's uh, <laughs> people have heard of him, Jed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the nine-second bike ride was pretty cool too. So, would you rather? Uh, what would I rather? No offense, buddy, but the nine-second bike ride. <laughs> you won't offend me of that, Bob. <laughs> I was actually like that. Oh, uh, God. Good stuff. For those of you that are wondering what the heck that's all about, Bob won a <laughs> race at the WFC. Good, Bob, I don't know when it was. Uh, probably five, six years ago. Yeah, yeah. it was 2014. Friday Night Gambler's Race. If, do you remember what you said? It was me and David Bell. We came up for the final. I think 1 o'clock or a few there, I believe, is, is the number. Yeah. And it was two minutes to one. And you asked us, you know, you guys, you want to finish this tomorrow? And we both said, uh-uh, baby, because <laughs> we were both driving well, and it doesn't happen often. <laughs> and uh, we were both in the final, and I got lucky and. The uh, wind light went on, and I got kissed in the winter circle. <laughs> yeah, Bob, you, <laughs> Bob's a very old friend of mine, and um, I was really excited. I, I love David Bell, too, obviously, but I was really excited for you. We were going to go in for a hug, and I just pecked you right there on the lips. You know, that's, <laughs> that's the first time I think I've done that as well in the last time, but I don't know. It just felt right, Bob, so I did it. <laughs> <laughs> it made it a lot of fun, buddy. And uh, the Bartolomeo has the picture, so. Uh. <laughs> and we do not need to see him again. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> not at all. Way, it looked way less innocent than it was in in the picture, that just a still shot. <laughs> <laughs> it made it a blast. It's something I'll remember. <laughs> uh, me too. That's for sure. 
Wonderful stuff, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on here and joining us tonight. This was a lot of fun for me. And again, uh, so re- respected and admired through racing. Um, it was great to get the opportunity to just chat with you for a little bit. Look forward to hearing this playback on the podcast where everyone gets to hear what you said because uh, it was very entertaining and, and certainly look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Sounds good. Thank you, buddy. Thank you for everything. Thank you for putting the WFC together, guys. That was the best deal going, and still enjoy coming. Yeah. Made right. almost everyone. Can't have and a great race without great racers, Bob. So thank you for your support, and I look forward to some more of that here in a couple of weeks. We'll see you soon. Hope you have a wonderful night. Jump into bed. You're going to need a little sleep. Those dogs need out early in the morning. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you again. All right, Bob. Talk to you soon. You wanna make it in a song to do the Justin Lamb Win a bunch of races and you do it with the fam You do the Kevin Brandon light a smack across the land Then you do the L ride and you come out like the world champ I wanna thank everybody for tuning in To make sure that you're the first to know When next week's episode is available Subscribe And you can do that on Google Play You can do that on iTunes You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today Just subscribe That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast You'll be the first to know And do us a favor Tell your friends about the podcast Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Over the PA on race day Alright, today's question is Luke, how do I practice my finish line execution? And the answer to this one's tricky because it's not like the starting line where we can get our Porter Tree next-gen practice tree out and just practice until our our thumb turns blue or until our eyes pop out of our head, right? There's no way to really practice the finish line. In my mind, the, the keys to precise execution at the finish line are two keys. Number one is understanding. And number two is execution. Understanding component is often overlooked. And it's just simply the idea that we have to know and understand exactly what's supposed to happen and why it's supposed to happen before we can precisely execute. Now, that understanding component, obviously, that's something that a resource like thisisbracketracing.com can help with immensely. On the execution end, As oversimplified as this probably sounds, there's really no way to practice and there's no way to execute and get better with beyond like simple trial and error. Okay. And keep in mind that particularly when you get out of your comfort zone and you try new things at the finish line, like say whatever, for whatever reason you come into this round or this weekend and say, you know what, I'm going to dial up four and I'm going to hold. Well, guess what? You're probably going to screw that up the first time that you try it, but that's going to make you better. Like this is the prime example of the saying that the only path to success is through failure. Like you're going to make mistakes. You're probably going to make a mistake in one way. Let's say that you give the finish line back and then you're going to come back the next week and say, I'm not doing that again. And you're going to take the stripe by two car lengths and break out. Like that's, that is the path to success as odd as that sounds. Now, uh, specifically, we've dedicated numerous um, training resources on thisisbracketracing.com to the finish line subject. One of my favorites and one of the most relevant to this question is titled Improving the Finish Line Weakness. Now, if this is a topic that interests you, if this is something that you struggle with, we're offering that training free of charge for a limited time. So check it out and enjoy. You can access that free training at thisisbracketracing.com slash pod 136. Again, that's thisisbracketracing.com slash pod 136. Jed and I are proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises. That's BTE here within the podcast. Neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. That's 20 years. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. 
BTE builds products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on. Whether it's a complete top dragster or, or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter designed for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item, the folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing. Shop online at BTE Racing. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th. <laughs> 